what a, a great time of worship, and we actually do continue to worship in the Word. Worship is a whole aspect of our lives, and uh, we continue our series this morning in Mark's Gospel and uh, chapter 15, and we're going to be reading a bit of that in just a moment. And throughout this series, we've been reflecting on the, the story or the biography of Jesus as Mark tells it, and he describes uh, the story of Jesus as good news. It is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And uh, we just want to affirm right at the beginning, and we'll keep shouting, Jesus is good news. There are many people in this room who know that good news. There are many people who are listening in who know the good news of Jesus Christ. And we want to tell you, Jesus is good news for us today, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself. Jesus asked those who followed him what others thought about him, and he asked them what they also thought. And I wonder this morning, as we have been traveling through this series, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think, how has this message impacted you? Do you, do you know him? Do you believe in him? Has your faith grown in him? So let's turn to our chapter, shall we? Mark chapter 15, and we're going to be reading from verses 22 through to verse 39. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. And then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice or cast lots to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. And a sign announced the charge that they had against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Huh, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourselves and come down from this cross. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. And even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. And at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and holding it up, on a reed, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. And then Jesus uttered another loud cry, and he breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. 
I mean, that is a powerful, powerful story. And Mark, as we've noticed, doesn't want us to simply understand Jesus through his various sayings or sound bites. He wants us to understand him and what he's about through a very carefully crafted narrative. And the same also applies to the other gospel writers that makes clear who Jesus is and why he is such good news. And so perhaps it would be good just to have a brief recap, just to remind ourselves of the background to this event that we're reading about this morning. We've been there at his his baptism and we've seen the start of his ministry. We've seen him preaching the good news of the kingdom and welcoming and lifting those who are socially marginalized, the downtrodden, the rejected, and the ruled out. We've seen him enjoying table fellowship with sinners. We've seen him forgiving people's sins. We've seen him going about healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead even. We've seen him feeding thousands of people with just a a few small pieces. We've seen him stilling storms and, and walking on the water. And time and time again, Mark wants us to know that what Jesus is doing is no ordinary thing, that what Jesus is doing is a God thing, that this Jesus, this man walking amongst them, though he is in every, every sense a real man, he is no ordinary man, but he's none other than God dwelling in their midst, among them, loving them, serving them, forgiving sins, healing, delivering, providing, and having authority over nature. And then we come to these chapters, these last chapters of this this amazing book. We come to Mark 14 and 15, and it all appears to, to take a sinister twist. Hardly has Jesus begun his ministry when it all seems to be heading towards a premature end. Suddenly, dark clouds are looming on the horizon. Yes, the, the crowds are still, still there. They have followed him. They've come down from the north. They've, they've followed him. And they, they, they want to, to make him king. They really do. They've seen something in him. And they, they think, my, wouldn't he make a great king? But the, the religious and the, the political authorities are not happy with Jesus at all. In fact, we find that very early in the story in Mark 3, this happening where they are, they are disturbed by who he is, what he's saying, and what he is doing. They, they feel threatened. And in chapter 14, suddenly Jesus, we find, is betrayed. Betrayed by one of his own, one of his very own disciples, and he's arrested. And we, we find him being tried by the, the religious and the political authorities on trumped-up charges which don't stand up under cross-examination. And at this, at the religious trial, the high priest asked Jesus, we find in 14 verses 61, 62, that the high priest asked Jesus very specifically, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus answers, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting on the, the right hand of the Almighty and coming in the heavenly clouds. Now, if you know a little bit about the Old Testament, you know that there are echoes there of Exodus 3, verse 14, and Psalm 110. And they, only know, they know only too well these references. For the first time, Jesus has publicly declared that he is indeed the Messiah. It's been secret, kept secret up until this time. And more than that, not only is he the Messiah, but he is the I Am. 
And this clearly puts them up against God. They're not against another man, another institution. They're up against God himself. And they, they've been looking for evidence all along, and, and suddenly in their minds they had it. Well, this is blasphemy. We read that in verse 14, verse 64. They cry out, blasphemy. But this trial is also the final evidence against them that will bring judgment upon them. Jesus is a challenge to their authority. He's a challenge to their, their way of doing things, their, their way of life. And they have so much to lose. And so they are intent to use modern language on cancelling them out. They don't want to hear his voice anymore. They want to eradicate him. In their minds, the only solution is that he must die. And this, in this respect, his death can be understood. It can be accounted for. But as we know it, there is far more to it than the, the death of a revolutionary who upset the authorities. His death would impact history, both past, present, and future. It would be like no other death. It would impact them in a way that no other death could or would. His death would impact both human lives and the cosmos. And in his death, there would be a, a saving, reconciling dynamic. In it, somehow, God was was in the business of bringing about humanity's salvation, of reconciling humanity to himself and the world to himself. As John Owen put it, a man of hundreds of years ago, a, a, a great preacher and teacher, he said, it would be the death of death in the death of Christ. There was something particular about the death of this man, Jesus, that would exceed the death of any other man. A couple of weeks ago, we, we spoke about Jesus' prophesied destruction of the temple, the Jewish holy place, a place that they treasured. The temple speaks of, of God's desire to dwell with those that he had created in his image for relationship with himself. So there it was, an emblem of God's desire to dwell with humanity, even a fallen humanity. And yet, at the same time, not only did it speak of his desire to, to dwell with a fallen humanity and, and have them come to himself, it also spoke of the, the huge distance that existed between both God and man. In fact, only one person could really come near to God. And even then, it would have happened only just once a year. And that person was, was the high priest, and he would come on behalf of the people. And he could only do so, though, after making the right and necessary offerings. Perhaps that seems strange to us in the world in which we find ourselves. It seems a, a distant idea, a strange way of thinking about God. Somebody has said this, that for, forgiveness for us is the plainest of duties. But to God, it is the profoundest of problems. I'll say that again. Forgiveness for us is the, the plainest of duties, but for God, it is the profoundest of problems. We, we should forgive because we are all in the same boat. We share the same fallenness, the same brokenness. We, we sin, and we sin against one another, and, and we should forgive one another. But for God, it's a different matter. God is supremely holy. He is so much other than we are. We are unholy. 
we have sinned and, and fallen short of God's glory, of God's standard. And in order for God to be true to himself and for righteousness to be upheld, he, he can't just turn a blind eye to it all, a blind eye to our sin, our rebellion, our, our iniquities, and say, well, it, it doesn't matter really. Let's just, just let's forget that. I'll, I'll forgive you. And even among humans, fellow humans who, who bear this fallenness, we balk when, when justice is not upheld. Something somehow just doesn't seem to be right. Justice must be true to itself. And this is a, the story in which we find, the, 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 this is the scenario rather, in which we find the story of Jesus. And if we cut him off from here, all we have is a Jesus who is his good, even very good, a very good man who went about healing and helping and teaching and inspiring and enabling. But he was far more than that. He was, as scripture says, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus wasn't born to evict the Romans and reestablish the nationalistic Davidic kingdom. No, Jesus was born to die for sinful and broken humanity, for Jew and for Gentile, for slave and free, to die for everyone who was cut off from God and destined for hell. Having lived a perfect life, having obeyed the Father through every twist and turn of, of it, having confronted the enemy time and again and sent him packing, Jesus says one final yes to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. A yes that would mean him taking our sin to himself, his dying our death, his, his bearing our punishment, his paying the price for our sin. And as Paul was to write much later, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a staggering statement. And so in verse 25, we read in chapter 15 there that they crucified him at nine o'clock in the morning. The soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes. They threw dice or cast lots to decide who would get each piece. And it was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. And a sign announced the charge that was against him. It read, the king of the Jews, and he was crucified with two revolutionaries. And then in verse 33, it says that at noon, a mysterious darkness falls across the whole land. An unusual darkness. A darkness that lasts until three o'clock. In those six long hours, from nine o'clock till three, Jesus touched a depth of suffering in, in mind and body and spirit beyond description and beyond our comprehension. In those moments, he experiences our alienation and a cry suddenly pierces the darkness. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? A very real cry, but also a cry of faith. This is, Jesus speaks of God personally, of a, a personal relationship to him. He is his God. He is my God. And if you know Psalm 22, which 
which this is which with this is lifted from we know that it goes on to speak of his faith jesus was born to die and it was for the joy that was set before him that he endures the cross and he despises its shame and then moments later in verse 38 suddenly another cry pierces the night and John tells us that it was, it was Jesus crying out. Suddenly at this moment in time, Jesus cries out, It is finished. Wow. That should have an amen in each of our hearts and on each of our lips. Those words were absolutely momentous. Everything that Jesus was born for happened in these climatic moments. He bears our sin and he goes down into death. He dies. And just before he utters that final breath, he says, it is finished. And the staggering thing is that down in, down in the temple at that moment in time, as Jesus utters those words and he, he dies in these moments, suddenly the, the curtain in the temple is torn from the top right down to the very bottom. It was a thick curtain. You could not imagine it being humanly torn. And if it was torn, normally you would think of from the bottom up. But it's like God suddenly reaches out of heaven and gets a hold of that curtain and he rips it in two and he says, now you can come in. <laughs> now you can come in. Such is the power of Jesus' death. And then in verse 39, we... We, we, we read this, when the, the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he himself exclaims, this man truly was the Son of God. I, I find it fascinating that the first person after the crucifixion to confess his faith in Christ, to confess who Christ really is, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is a Roman soldier. And if you go over into Matthew's Gospel and you read the, the story there, he actually includes several soldiers in his story. So not just one, but several of them see this event, see the drama of this event, see everything that is going on, and, and suddenly it's like their eyes are opened and they realize this is no ordinary man, this is no revolutionary, this is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow. And Mark wants us to know that the gospel is for all. It is for Jew and for Gentile. And that Jesus breaks down all the barriers between us. That in Christ, as Paul says, there is neither Greek nor Jew, there is neither slave nor free, free nor barbarian and Scythian, so on. That actually in Jesus, we're, we're gathered up together as one family in him. And so as we, we think about the cross, as we, we, we meditate upon it, as we we give it our attention, we, we see that it is indeed the most dramatic event in, in all of human history that can only be followed about by the event that, <laughs> that yeah, Barney's going to be preaching about next week and I'd love to be there and doing it because it's such a climatic event. This is, this is amazing. You know, the cross is amazing, but the resurrection is even more amazing because without it, it's not the complete story. But we can't go there this week. I've got to leave that sermon to Barney. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure on you, Barney. Uh, yeah, but can you see what's going on here? Can you see what's going on in the, the story that Mark has crafted and, 
And if you've just joined us, I, I challenge you to go back and listen to some of the other ones that we've done. Go and read the book of the Gospel of Mark for yourself. Read it, saturate yourself in it, and get what Mark is on about right from the very beginning. He says, this that I'm writing to you is, is the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he wants both Jew and Gentile to know that. And he unpacks his story in so many different ways. And he wants us to understand that he's more than a man, that he's God in the flesh. He's come here for us. He's come here for you. He's come here for me. And, and, and in that coming means he has to die. But it will be a death like no other death uh, that has happened or will happen uh, uh, for, as we go forward in time. So he comes and he comes to die. And he comes to bear your sin. And he comes to my, bear my sin. He comes to bring us back, to reconcile us to a God who we've been estranged from. And I think that's fantastic. I hope you do too. And I hope you get a sense of something of the good news. So through the cross, we are liberated. The cross sets us free from shame. It sets us free from the power of sin. It sets us free from demonic powers, the powers of darkness. And above all, it reconciles us to God as our Father in heaven. And we have that privilege of just being able to come into his presence and to know him and to worship him and to enjoy him and to receive from him. Not only that, it unlocks all the resources of heaven to us. Suddenly, we have an inheritance that is just utterly and amazing and released to us through the Holy Spirit. Maybe this morning that you've been carrying shame for many years. For whatever reason, it may be that you have walked, and maybe nobody else knows about it, but you've carried a sense of shame. Jesus entered into your shame in order to set you free. It may be that you are bound in some particular way by sin. There's something that you just can't get free from. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus came and he took on sin and he broke its power at the cross. So you can be free. It may be this morning that you have been harried and troubled by the powers of darkness. There are voices in your head, troubling thoughts. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus took those powers on at the cross and he defeated them. And you can know peace of mind this morning or whatever time of day you're listening to this message. You can be set free from those powers as, as people were in the gospel stories. And above all, you can be reconciled to God. It may be that you grew up in a church. You kind of heard the stories, but it kind of never clicked somehow or other. Maybe that you're just listening to it for the first time and you're trying to get your head around it. You don't have to understand it all. In a moment in time, you can just see and, and believe and confess your need of Jesus. Israel had to make a choice. It tells us that he came unto his own and his own received him not. In Mark chapter 12, leading in 13, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because they have not recognized who he is and what he's come to do. 
they had a choice to make. They rejected Jesus. The, the religious authorities rejected Jesus. And they chose Barabbas. And they suffered the consequences a few years later. I wonder this morning, who would you choose? Who will you choose at this moment in time? Will you choose Jesus? Will you, like the Roman soldier, confess him and say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in a moment, know the, the forgiveness of your sins. In a, a moment, know the, the washing away of your shame. In a moment, moment, know the breaking of the powers of darkness over your life. In, in a moment, know suddenly that God is your Father in heaven and you have complete access to him. Wow, what a gospel. What good news. So let's just pray, shall we? Oh God, we just stand amazed as we stand on this holy ground. It seems really as though we ought to be kneeling. Because this, this story is just staggering beyond all dimensions. It is indeed such good news in the darkness of our situation. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you came. And you set your face as a flint towards that cross. You knew that was what you were here for. And you said to yes to the Father all the way along. You knew what it was to be tempted, and yet you never fell once. And then you took our sin. You took our sin into your body, and we, we can't understand that really, can't get our heads around it, but it, it, it tells us that you were made sin for us. You went down into our death, and you died for us. You rose again. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and you gave your life a ransom for many. Thank you that you came to bring healing to the very depths of our souls. Thank you that you came to bring us hope in this world in which we live and to give us purpose. Spirit, bless your truth to all who are listening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.